Hello, Gator Nation, and welcome in to another episode of the In All Kinds Weather Forecast. I am your host, Chris Yanes, and I'm back again with another exciting episode with my co-host, Neil Shulman. We're going to have a great podcast tonight, breaking down the upcoming visitors weekend that we have in store, uh, as well as some breaking news on the SEC scheduling front. But before we get started, a quick word about our sponsors and partners. First, we're proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged Gator fan to the swamp. For those of you that are new listeners, the Gator Good Foundation collects donations from fans and uses it to bring someone to his or first ever Florida Gator football game. You believe you or someone you know is worthy of the honor for next season? Please email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. Secondly, we're proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and will deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are three great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One, it's a veteran-owned business. Can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving them your business. Two, it's run by a UF alum and a big Gator fan. And three, you've got the personal stamp of approval from and all kinds of weather as they did our new logo and our new website. They did the Gator Good Foundation website and they do all the marketing for the Charleston Gator Club. And they still got more Gator-related projects on the horizon. So if you're listening to this pod and your brand or company needs any help in the aforementioned areas, rest assured that Stinger Branding will more than take care of you. To view their full list of services and rates, Go to stingraybranding.com. And with all that taken care of, we have a action-packed show, as I mentioned, of talking about football, talking about recruiting, talking about the SEC scheduling. We now know what 2024 is going to look like for the SEC schedule. But before we get to all that, we'd be remiss if we did not give a huge shout-out and congratulations to the Gator men's golf team for winning the school's fifth national championship. They defeated the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets 3-1 to one as uh, Biondi finished the match with a huge putt at the end there. And this was the fifth national championship in school history, the first since 2001. Uh, I want to issue a slight correction from the last podcast. I said it was the first time they were playing for the national championship. They clearly have now won five, but it is the first time in match play era that they won the national championship match play started within the last 15 years something that was not around back in 2001 so neil thoughts really quick on the uh the gators winning a national championship well it means that i have to update our logo doesn't it because uh if you are familiar with the uh the the big reveal that we did back in the summer of 2022 we listed all the easter eggs that came as part of our of our new and updated logo there were a number a certain number of scales on the alligators back to correspond with the number of national championships that the florida gators athletics program had won i guess we now have to to tweak that because we now have, have another national championship uh, number 46 overall and just an absolutely flabbergasting stat in a good way that florida has won a national championship every single year since the 2008 season since the, since, since the calendar year of 2008 that's ridiculous that is absolutely unheard of and yes it's been a while since we've been great in football but football contributed to that basketball contributed to that the third biggest sport baseball contributed to that 
And then the so-called little sports, yeah, they contributed to it too. Women's tennis has one in there. Men's tennis won their first ever natty in 21. Men's golf, obviously chipping in with one of their own track and field. Gymnastics has a three-peat in there. So, I mean, all that's missing is, is Gator volleyball at this point. And we're going to have a national uh, and women's basketball. Uh, we're going to have a national championship in every single sport that we sponsor um, on the varsity level. And as for the golf um, itself, because, you know, we're talking about golf and not just the overall athletics program. Good for them. Because I know that there was a time not that long ago, Chris, it was about what, 40 hours ago in match play against FSU, where it looked like they were, they were in trouble and they came back to win that match and then go out and beat Georgia tech. So, you know, clutch putts, obviously I'm not the the biggest golfing guy in the world, but as we said, I think on a gymnastics, um, on a gymnastics note, a couple months ago or so, we know elite athletes when we see one or we know elite talent when we see it. Clearly, the Gators are the best in the country. So even though, I mean, I'm not going to speak for Chris, but I'm certainly not the biggest golf um, expert in the world. Congrats to the Gators. You did the Gator Nation proud, and your names will forever live on in Gator lore. Yeah, well, I certainly I love playing golf. I love going out there and playing 18 and hopefully breaking 100. So it's fun to watch some guys uh, do it just a little bit better than that. And shout out to JC Deacon, who's been the men's golf coach now for nine years he was actually one of the last jeremy foley hires before he departed in 2016 and he you know when they interviewed him afterward that he said he knew this team was going to be special three years later when when this group of juniors and seniors were coming through the program so it's really cool to see a plan kind of come to fruition especially when we're talking about how similar to how billy napier and todd golden are trying to build up the basketball and football programs sometimes it's hard to visualize the the end of a of a plan of a grand vision but this is one of those examples where it did culminate in a national championship so once again congratulations to jc deacon matt biondi for winning the the individual title uh, brett and biondi. The brett biondi brett biondi and uh congratulations to the golf team also want to thank uh high top sports shelton and dave soderquist i want to Thank them personally for allowing Neil and I to come on last night. We had a great time on their live channel for YouTube. Certainly, please go uh, subscribe to their channel. Listen to the episode we were on at the very beginning of the show, talking about baseball, similar to the the podcast that we had the other night, which I also invite you all, if you have not, go back and listen to that. Tomorrow night, we have a baseball game, so it would be a great preview for the regional matchups ahead of us this weekend. But we talked about that on High Top Sports, and we also talked about the upcoming visits for this week that we're going to also be going a little bit more in depth tonight. So please go give those guys a subscription, a follow on Instagram or on Twitter and give that show a listen. So we have some breaking news uh, in two fronts. I've, many of you might've seen on the Florida victorious Twitter page today, but the $2 million match was uh hit. We in the month of May, there was a challenge put out to Gator Nation to raise two million dollars, and the two million dollars would be matched if that happened. We have breaking news that today that came to fruition, and now that that means that the Florida Victorious has raised four million dollars in the month of May as a result of that match. So huge shout out to Gator Nation for that. Shout out to Gator Nation for raising the four million dollars with Florida Victorious. We had a great interview with Nate Barbera a couple of weeks ago. And it certainly is a huge testament accomplishment for us to be able to raise $4 million in one month. That's going to help all of Florida's NIL efforts. So if you have not, go back and listen to that episode with Nate and join Florida Victorious today. 
Second bit of breaking news, we have our SEC scheduling finally figured out. It may not be what everybody was hoping for, but their debate going into this week was whether or not we'd have an eight or a nine game schedule. We do now know what it'll at least be for one season in 2024 when after Oklahoma and Texas join the conference. We will be going to an eight-game schedule. We will be having, as if this remains to be the case, you will have one permanent opponent and seven rotating opponents that would allow you to play every team at least one time in a four-year period. Of course, everybody would know that the permanent opponent for the Florida Gators would be the Georgia Bulldogs, who we announced earlier this week would be staying in Jacksonville through the 2025 season. This is not necessarily a permanent fixture. It could go to nine games. They could go to a different sort of scheduling makeup where we have more rotational rivals. But for the 2024 season, that will be the setup, and they're going to kind of see and test the waters what that'll be. So my initial reaction to this is kind of a disappointment in the sense that they've had so much time to get this figured out and that this is what they ultimately settled on. I think it's unfortunate because a lot of fans during the 2020 season – I think liked the 10 game format where you had 10 SEC teams and made for some really exciting matchups, a lot more competitive football. And of course the SEC is a, is a conference built on tradition and history and the rivalries are really what builds that up. And Florida has had longstanding rivals, you know, with Georgia and Tennessee, uh, but they've also had rivals in the, you know, growing in the past decade with a, a team like LSU. And with this new scheduling format, we would only be having to play Georgia. So it's going to be really weird uh, to kind of throw away decades of tradition away of playing opponents like LSU and Tennessee on an annual basis. Uh, But it does give us the opportunity to be able to travel to venues that we don't normally travel to, places like Oxford, places like College Station, uh, Starkville, Mississippi is another one. We don't play those teams as often. So this is an opportunity to do that, but... It does. It definitely takes away from the the rivalries uh, that we have grown accustomed to. So, Neil, give us your thoughts on what you think the SEC scheduling is and 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 how that's going to go. First of all, I don't know what you're talking about that we don't travel to College Station that often. It seems like we go there every freaking year. Uh, <laughs> while Somehow. while Georgia mysteriously, despite Texas A&M being in the SEC for almost a decade and a half now, has never once gone to College Station, but I mean, personally, I like that trip to College Station. Flew into Houston, nice, easy drive, 90 minutes or so, like from Jacksonville to Gainesville, from Houston to College Station. Easy, 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 fun atmosphere, fun fans. Love, 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 love that trip. But it does seem a little strange that it's it's usually only us who has to go out there. Um, second of all, I'm perfectly fine with it if it's a one-year solution. I'm perfectly fine with keeping the eight-game schedule if it's just for one season because Florida does have a rival loaded schedule in 2024 we play auburn that year we're supposed to play auburn uh we play the miami hurricanes and i'm not i mean i won't even call central florida a rival but we play them we don't like those people and we play them so i personally would love nothing more than just curb stomp both of them and taunt their rivals into oblivion but moving forward 
the SEC doesn't seem like it has a choice. Like every other Power Five conference is moving to nine game conference schedules. And you can blame logistics for this one. Sure, it's lazy. And it makes you look like you just sat on your hands for the last couple of years, did nothing while you knew this move was coming from Oklahoma and Texas to the league. But that excuse dies when teams suddenly don't have their non-conference schedules filled up throughout the next several years. Because in 24, yeah, everyone's got their non-conference opponents already set in stone, uh, trying to to reschedule or cancel or postpone or whatever. All those games is difficult for this year. So you, you, as as bad as it makes you look to say, yeah, we're just lazy and didn't get our, our you-know-what together – uh, you can at least have it as a valid excuse. Now it doesn't work when those conference or when those non-conference schedules are empty moving forward. And I think when that point comes, the SEC is going to go, yeah, you know, we did kind of like that 10 game schedule of 2020, didn't we? That was kind of fun. Right. And also, oh yeah. What do you do if you have three different teams finish eight? No, how in the world are you going to break that tie? Cause I mean, the SEC has long said, we're not going to use margin of victory for anything. They made that precedent back in, I think, 2001 uh, when when Florida had had crushed LSU but lost to Tennessee, and there were some fans who were like, yeah, well, screw divisions. We beat LSU by 30 points in Death Valley. Tennessee only beat us by two. Clearly, we're the better team because by the aggregate score, whatever, we're the best team there. The SEC said then it wasn't going to do it. That was so long ago, people forgot probably by now. But I mean, that was one of my first memories as, as an SEC football fan when I was like seven years old. I remember them saying that. So that's not going to happen. If you have three teams that finish eight, no, you're going to have to break that tie somehow to get two teams in the SEC championship game. And I have no idea how you're going to go about doing that. So I think when you add that ninth game, I mean, not only are you adding one more game for teams to possibly lose or one more game, I guess one more one more possible number of wins, like from nine to 10, right? Because if you play an eight-game conference schedule, you have nine possibilities ranging from zero to eight. There's nine numbers there. You add a ninth conference game, you have 10 possible win totals you can finish with in the conference. So it adds that. It also gives you the chance to break more of those head-to-head ties. Like if you have, say this year, Florida, let's say, or no, not, I mean, it's not realistic for Florida, so I won't even pretend that. I won't even tease all of that. But let's say, let's say it's Georgia, it's LSU, and it's Texas that all finish 8-0 and none of them play each other. I mean, Chris, I'll throw it to you. What do you do? How do you have a championship game in that situation? How are you going to tell a team that's undefeated in the SEC, yeah, you're not good enough to play for the conference title? Yeah, I mean, I, that's definitely a tough thing. And in the SEC, I'm glad they're keeping the SEC title and it's going to the two best teams. And I think that was a great change. That's probably the best change, actually, of this is that we're getting rid of divisions and we're going straight to the two best teams. It's going to make matchups in Atlanta amazing because in the last 10 years, we haven't really had those one versus two matchups as frequently or those top five matchups as frequently as we used to, maybe back in the mid to late 2000s, back when you know Florida and Alabama, they played two years in a row, they were the number one and number two teams. And that's because the East was stronger back then. The West was just as strong as it is now. If not, it's stronger now. But I think that the way that you kind of break it is the fact that we're going to a 12-team playoff. And we'll be able to have more teams make the playoff and if you are 8-0 in the SEC and you don't play for the SEC title, it actually could be an advantage because you get a week off. You know, you auto- you're going to get one of those auto- uh, at-large bids into the SEC or into the playoff, college football playoff, rather. So it could be actually kind of an advantage, but it does suck in the sense that you won't get to win a conference title. Uh, but in the playoff era, winning conference titles is starting to 
you know, fly out the window. It's becoming a lot more like basketball, baseball, other sports where, yeah, it's great to win the title for bragging rights, but the eye really is on the prize with the, with the playoff scenario. So, but is it I mean, though, I, because the auto bid to the, the top four seed and that first round buy and one fewer game you have to win to get to the championship is yeah. now going to be yours by virtue of having that conference championship. No, it definitely, no, it, it would be nice to have that auto bid and you get that extra week off, but you know, at the same time, it's not the end of the world if you don't make the SEC championship game. Whereas back then, if you don't make the SEC championship game, you, you're probably not playing for the college football playoff unless you were Alabama and you went 11 and one in the last couple of years, uh, and you know, and then you played for it then. So I, I think that just it's going to work itself out. I'm just disappointed that they couldn't hammer in on a schedule. Now they've had so much time. And what that really just tells me is that they were indecisive about what they wanted to do. I think the higher powers that be want an eight game schedule for whatever reason. Uh, but there are people in the room that are dissenters and they probably wanted a nine game schedule. And the compromise was, okay, fine. We'll do an eight game schedule. We'll try it your way first. But if this doesn't work out, we're going to switch to a nine-game schedule, or we're going to switch up this eight-game schedule format so more teams play each other uh, on a more on a frequent basis or an annual basis, rather. So we actually keep those rivalries established. It's going to be weird. I mean, you're you're going to lo- obviously Alabama and Auburn are going to play every year, but now you're not going to have Alabama and Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee fans, while they have gotten their butt kicked, other than the last year, love that rivalry. You know, and the, it's just it's it's going to be weird. Um, you're going to have, I think you're going to have a lot of rivalries and you're going to scratch your head why those games aren't played every year. So I, I think it's greed and there's no need to scratch your head because it's greed. It's simple. Well, it's greed. I, the SEC saw dollar signs. Oh, Oklahoma, Boomer, Sooner, Texas, hook them horns, tradition, money. Let's take them. Despite having absolutely no way of even thinking about how that's going to screw up the conference as we all know it today. Like the Missouri and A&M shouldn't have joined the conference. I hated that move, but I happened to you know well, like Texas A&M and their tradition. So I thought, okay, whatever. I, I dealt with it, but it started there. And now yeah. it's just a, a mess. I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with conference expansion. I actually think it improves the quality of, of schedule and the, you know, if you look at our schedule this year, our home game is is not very our home schedule is not very good. We have Tennessee and Florida State are our best home games, and outside of that, we play a bunch of cupcakes, and that's it's really no fun. But you play Arkansas, yeah, okay, yeah, but they're not going to likely be ranked in that matchup. Like you're going to get more ranked matchups in Gainesville. You're going to have more sellout crowds. It, it's going to be great, and I, I think that it, it's important to to have a quality product on the field. And yes, dollar signs matter to a lot of people and they shouldn't matter and it's ruining the sport in many respects. But at the same time, this was inevitable. So Texas and Oklahoma are great additions to the SEC. I think their tradition fits the mold of what an SEC program looks like. Missouri for for the for forever will be the head scratcher why they joined our conference. They just they truly do not fit. They should they belong in the Big 12. They they would fit right in, in the Big 12. They'd probably be a lot more competitive in the Big 12. They're certainly not an SEC school, but I don't have a problem with adding them. My thing is, you should have had a plan in place, or have been just been willing to go to the nine game schedule. And if money, if you like, you claim is the issue, I don't understand why they don't just accept the nine game schedule. Because to me, you're going to be able to get that new ESPN contract that's starting next year is going to be able to drive the cost up if you have nine games. Well, the so, issue would be teams having to to buy out opponents that they have to call up and go, "Yeah, sorry, sure. we're not playing you now anymore." But. I mean, like I said, I'm fine with it. I'm fine and dandy with it if it's a one-year fix, even a two-year fix. 
But if it's any more than that, like if we're still seeing them play eight games in 2026, then there's a major problem. For sure. Really quick before we move on to the next topic, who would be, because I think the other option on the table was the nine game schedule. You would have three permanent opponents and you would have six rotating opponents. Who are the three opponents you would want to see Florida play? I would want to see Florida play. I mean, Georgia is the obvious one. I I want that Florida Auburn rivalry back. So I'm always going to say Auburn. And I mean, selfishly, I'll say South Carolina because I live here, but I also loathe that fan base. So I don't also really want anything to do with them at the same time. Um, I, I guess maybe uh, either, either a Kentucky or a South Carolina, Tennessee, I, maybe, but I also realize there's, there's no way we ever would play them. And if, if there were three permanent opponents, cause they have three locked in in Alabama, Kentucky. And for reasons I'll never understand, I guess I understand them, but for reasons that don't make sense for, from a parody standpoint, Vanderbilt are locked in as their permanent opponent. So I don't, I don't even see a reason in making that claim, but well, it's the in-state state. It's the in-state rival there. I mean, even though Vanderbilt just isn't up to par, it's not a rival. It's just a whipping boy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, during the Bud Jones era, it was kind of, you know, touch and that's go true. there. <laughs> but that's that unfortunately is over and Tennessee is on the rise again in college football. I would want to keep that Tennessee rivalry. And I, I would say, Hey, look, if you want to keep Vandy on your schedule, fine. But I would say maybe drop the Kentucky one instead. Uh, but never going to happen. That's like Florida, Georgia to them. They have, yeah, a, they, have a, they have a drunken trophy and everything. It's called the beer barrel. They'll never get yeah. rid of that. I would. I, I think for history, though, and in tradition, I would want to keep that rivalry. Just so many good memories growing up in the '90s, watching some of those battles and beating, you know, people like Peyton Manning four times, and and then in the last kind of fifteen to twenty years, beating Tennessee at the at the at the very last second or minute of a game. I, I think would be just fun to keep that going and and the banter with that fan base on an annual basis. Obviously, Georgia. I, I I'm kind of torn on the third one. I'm really indifferent. I I liked what you said about the Auburn one. I wouldn't pick them as the permanent one just and the reason being is because if you have a, a, a Tennessee or Georgia already I don't want to have for parity and for I guess fairness standpoint of the schedule want to have a, a rotational opponent like that I I think it would just be way too difficult or just an un, un, unfair competitive advantage for other teams that mean you know, like the Tennessee who their rotational opponent would be or their permanent opponent would be Vanderbilt uh so I like kind of maybe a South Carolina. I think South Carolina would be a good, uh, you know, middle ground there for us. So maybe I'd say Tennessee, South Carolina, or or Kentucky, Kentucky or South Carolina would be the would the one. But I would definitely want to maintain uh, Tennessee and Georgia. We're going to play Auburn more often up because we'll have the rotational opponents. So I'm not too concerned about that. And same with LSU. It would be great to keep that rivalry, but I just think you know geographically it doesn't make sense. And I think there are a lot of rotational opponents on the western end of of where the SEC is geographically, that makes sense for them. Schools like Alabama, even an Ole Miss, a Texas A&M, a Texas, one of those schools, I think. Arkansas. Arkansas. They have a a trophy game with them, the Golden Boot. So, I mean, LSU. LSU is in the same category as Tennessee in that I want to keep the rivalry going, but it's not going to happen because they have have three opponents that we know are going to be locked in. Right. Yeah. So, we'll see. But at at this time, 2024, eight-game schedule, Georgia will be our permanent opponent if it continues on, but we will have to see how the schedule shakes out. I'm sure later this fall we'll find out exactly who our opponents will be. And really quick before we move on to 
our visitors list and talking about recruiting. I do want to go ahead. We discussed this on the pod last time. It's been announced. Jack Hagley-Young will start against Florida A&M on Friday night. Neil and I discussed the strategy behind why Kevin O'Sullivan would do this. Uh, they have decided to go with their non-ace and save their aces for later in the weekend. You know, it, this is this is the part of the year where you start to play those kind of chess mask games. And, and Neil, we talked about it the other night. You know, if you do this, you're basically saying, okay, we have the confidence that Jack can go out there, throw a good game against a lesser, uh, ta- a less talented team, and our hitter should be able to score enough on them, even if he does give up in a couple of runs. And, you know, I, I can't blame Kevin O'Sullivan for doing it. You know, I think he sees that the tougher matchups, he, you, you could have a tough one against Texas Tech, potentially even UConn, who won 43 games this season. Uh, but just you really quick, your reaction to that decision. I mean, like I said, I think that it's a very nuanced and complicated debate. I see positives and negatives for both using Caglione against FAMU and just keeping your guys on schedule. I think the big thing, Cags has to throw strikes. Because if he just puts the ball over the plate, I don't objectively see any world in which FAMU beats us because they, they don't have the offense that's going to clobber the ball over the yard and knock it out of the park. The problems are going to come if he walks three batters in a row and then hits the fourth guy he faces. Like we saw him do that against Tennessee. So it's not unprecedented for him to just completely lose it out there. So as long as he doesn't do that, and as long as he gives us at least five innings, preferably six, but at least give us five and don't make us burn down the entire bullpen in game one of what could be a long weekend for us. I mean, like that, that's that's where the that's where the analysis of this game starts and ends. Because if Cags throws strikes and he's not wild, Florida wins the game a hundred times out of a hundred. Like the only wild card is if he is going to give them freebies. I guess you could also say if the defense makes a ton of mistakes behind them. That's another that, that, that that's another way that Florida could lose that game. But you have to think over the course of nine innings, the Florida bats are going to come alive. The pitching behind Cagley on the bullpen, enough of them are going to do their jobs that we're going to have more runs than, if it, than, than FAMU, I should say, is going to have at the end of the night. So if Cag still strikes and doesn't completely melt down and we don't have to waste our entire bullpen, it's going to turn out to be just fine. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to see. I mean, excellent. I, like I said in the last podcast, I trust Kevin O'Sullivan. He's earned that respect after being uh, a head coach now for 16 years here in Florida. We'll see what and happens. Winning a natty. And also the other thing to point out, but just because Cags had a bad outing the last time he went out there, doesn't mean he didn't have two great outings in a row the two times before he went out there. So two of his last three outings have been phenomenal. So it's not like it's not like we're signing ourselves up for trouble. We're signing our, ourselves up for maybe a little bit of trouble, but still more likely than not that he goes out and does the job. Hey, and maybe you give him the confidence, right? A lot of the baseball is confidence, getting hot. And if you give him a, 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 a opponent that doesn't have – the firepower like some of these other lineups might have in the regional. He goes out there, strikes out nine guys, you know, doesn't give up a lot of runs, pitches half the game, if not more quality start. Hey, that's confidence going deeper into a super regional run, hopefully into Omaha. You know, hopefully it pays off. We'll find out tomorrow night against Florida AM. Be sure to when this when this uh by the time this drops. Throw strikes, give me five innings. All I ask for. Yeah, no, it's definitely. 
Alrighty. So with that, let's go ahead and get into it. We we talked about it last night on High Top Sports with Shelton and Dave, as they are dubbing the Jubilee Weekend. Uh, it's getting trending apparently on Twitter. We'll go ahead and and uh, keep it trending on our show here. Uh, but we've got a pretty big weekend coming up uh, this week. We've 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 talked about it at length uh, for a long time. This has been building the momentum for this weekend. But it's finally here. We actually have already seen a couple of people arrive on campus. Guys like uh, five-star defensive lineman David Stone from IMG, uh, four-star defensive lineman LJ McCray out of Malin High School in Daytona, and then also four-star edge rusher Dylan Evans is back on campus once again. He just arrived today for his visit. We're going to have a slew of other guys in t- coming into town. Of course, we have four commitments, all uh, blue chip rating, three of them top 100, DJ Lagway, Xavier Filosami, Ardarius Hayes, and then wide receiver Isaiah Williams, who is the 333rd rated player according to 247, but all blue chip players, and they will be trying to bring in a huge haul of guys. So just in total, I'm going to go ahead and give you some numbers out there. Seven of these guys, both committed and uncommitted, are top 100. Seven top 100 guys on campus. Of course, three of them are already committed um, to the Florida Gators, which is more than we had last year in the entire 2023 recruiting class alone. Nine of them are top 150, and all but three are blue chip rated players. And of the three guys that are actually not blue chip rated players, two of them defensive linemen, Kendall Jackson, uh, many probably know this name. He goes to Buholtz High School in Gainesville, Florida. You know, this is a guy that actually has a lot of impressive offers. Uh, you know, outside of Florida, he also has offers from Ohio State, Oklahoma, Texas, Miami. Uh, this, you know, I think a lot of people might have already even expected him to pop the University of Florida. I'm not exactly sure what that communication is, but, you know, we'll see this weekend uh, and what, what happens there. Many are believing, though, he might actually commit this weekend. He's certainly on commit watch. The other defensive lineman I want to mention there, three-star Jane Jackson, IMG product. So, you know, yes, three-star rating, but a lot of people believe he's also going to fast rise up the rankings uh, this season. He also sports offers from schools like Ohio State, Texas, Miami, University of Florida. So some of those same schools in it for the same players at the same position and we're going to have him on campus. So we'll, we'll, I think we'll get a better idea of where we are with Jaden Jackson there. And then, of course, really the big prize coming into town this weekend is whether or not we can flip a guy and Jeremiah Smith. He has been, I think, trolling both fan bases pretty well. Uh, he put out a uh, tweet today showing a Buckeye and a locked emoji, indicating that he's locked in with the Ohio State Buckeyes ahead of his visit to the University of Florida. That's fine. Uh, he was hanging out with DJ Lagway all weekend at the NIL Summit in Austin. And, uh, you know, it's no secret. These guys are friends. They hang out. Uh, they would love to play with each other in college. But, you know, he's coming back to the University of Florida for another time and an, an official visit. So we'll have to see what, you know, what that yields. But I, I definitely think there's some mo- smoke that he is certainly could flip. I think this is a recruitment that is going to go deep into the summer and into the fall. I wouldn't be surprised if there was drama with this recruitment all the way up to signing day. I just think with a prospect of his caliber and of his talent, 
that is to be expected for the number two player overall in the country. But it would be a seismic shift in the recruiting abilities of Billy Napier and the direction of his program if we were to get the flip. Certainly, that's with with Jeremiah Smith. But let's get maybe into now, Neil, some guys that we are potentially expecting to pop. Uh, I mentioned Kendall Jackson, but there are a couple of other prospects that are coming onto campus. Chris Jones, Dylan Evans, who many believe are on commit watch. These are guys that are are top uh, 150 players and would be huge additions to the defensive hall. So what? give me your thoughts kind of on the potential for some commitments this weekend, as well as some of the guys you're excited for coming on campus. Yeah, so I think if I'm going to pick one guy that I'm most excited about, it's it's going to be Chris Jones. Um, I, I think extending a, an underrated pipeline that the Florida Gators have with the Washington, D.C. area. He's from Fairfax, Virginia. Remember, Joe Hayden is from that area. Um, got, a, got a couple of good linebackers from there, too. But he's a guy that I just look at the, the fact that he's been so productive so early on in his high school career. I mean, he had 142 tackles as a sophomore in high school, which is pretty impressive given that, again, the the high school football that's played in the Washington, D.C. area, no, maybe not quite the IMG level, maybe not quite the Miami Palmetto or Booker T. Washington sort of skill level, but it's still pretty good in that area. That area does breed a lot of talent, most of it, goes to Ohio State and Penn State and Michigan and occasionally a, a Georgia or you know a USC or Notre Dame will, will poach it. But, I mean, there's a lot of good talent that comes there. And it's in that city, it's in that region that he is being this productive. The tape more than backs it up. The tape shows a guy that is really, really good playing downhill. We've, we've talked about this on the show too in previous episodes where the game of college football is just going to a point where covering – a an opposing receiver is just going to be part of the job description of linebacker because there are so many ridiculously explosive tight ends. Like Kyle Pitts is just one of them. And we're seeing guys like Darnell Washington, you know, Brock Bowers. Uh, I mean, he, he's never played, but just guys who fit the, the mold of an, of an Eric Gilbert, uh, just so many pass catching tight ends that can't be covered by corners because they're too big for them. And this is the guy, Chris Jones is the guy that, at least from the tape that I see here, and I, I don't see anything from scouts that that warn that he's not good at this. It's not an anomaly on his tape. The tape shows that Chris Jones is actually pretty good at it. He can play a little bit of strong safety on a, on a given snap or two if he absolutely has to. If there's a tight end going out for a pass and his team is is undermanned, he can go out and, and go play that coverage. He's really good against the run. He's really good at at sifting through the garbage, so to speak, and getting to the ball carrier. So this is a guy that I think if he does indeed commit to the Florida Gators as he was crystal ball to do, I mean, we all know what crystal balls are after the Cormani situation, but if he does indeed become a Florida Gator, this is a guy that I can see contributing pretty quickly and pretty consistently for the Florida Gators. So this is a guy that I'm looking at above all others. I am very high on Dalen Evans, which side note is, is, is he really committed to Texas A&M if his Twitter profile picture is of him in a Florida Gator uniform? <laughs> I mean, I don't even know if I call it a flip at that point, but it, it feels like a, a pretty badly kept secret that, that he's going to flip to Florida, but you know, he hasn't. And of course with after the Jaden Rashada nonsense, nothing is done until the dotted line is signed. And even then it may still not be, I, you know, I, I know, I, I know, but 
He's a guy that has a lot of smoke to Florida. And if there's a second guy I'm looking at, it's going to be him. But at the linebacker position, Chris Jones, I think, comes in and can fill a lot of different needs with just one body at one position. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And 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 I think when you're bringing the family down and you're coming down for another time, I, this is closing time. This is a time for the staff to finally close on this recruitment. Do not let him take that visit to Georgia. Or at the very least, don't let him go to Georgia without getting him to commit verbally. You know, this is the time now for this staff to start flexing its muscles, showing that it has the ability to close. And, we, you know, they have started building really strong relationships. You would not have a star-studded recruitment visit weekend without that. Now it's time to close. Finish the pitch. Finish the sell. Get these guys to flip. Get them to commit. Get them in the class. Continue to build that momentum. I mean, Amir Jackson, he's gotten a, a recent crystal ball and some predictions to Florida. He seems like the most likely tight end to join the class, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if Billy Napier and the staff are looking to kind of boost the talent profile of that room and, and bringing in a Jonathan Eccles could certainly do that. Um, outside of that, I, I want to touch on a couple of other players that are on this list, guys that may not commit, but certainly it's going to go a long way. And, and, and we might have some in-state battles uh, for some of these players. And I think this cycle, we're going to start to see the return of actually FSU Florida battles uh, for some top players. And, and and that hasn't really been the case in the last couple of years. And the kind of noticeable omission is that we haven't seen as many battles with Miami this cycle thus far like we had by this time last year. Uh, but one of the players that sticks out for me in this category is a guy, LJ McCray, defensive lineman out of Mainland High School. Uh, we also are heavily in it for Zay Mency, well, his teammate who's going to be visiting the following weekend. But, you know, LJ McCray at a position of need definitely could boost the talent uh, at the defensive line and on the, in the trenches. And we can talk about how important those trenches are. But that's going to be a Florida, Florida State battle. We'll be looking to see if we can add him to the list to go along with potentially a flip from Dalen Evans. Another name that's starting to pop up. And I think at a position uh, where I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen as much development at, but that's the cornerback position. And Jalen Crawford, he is a, a Georgian native, but many believe he is planning on leaving the state of Georgia. So Georgia, the Georgia Bulldogs are not a player in this recruitment at this present time, but LSU and Auburn are, uh, they were, seen to be the two teams that were leading for him for the longest time. But now Corey Raymond has gotten involved in the recruitment. And it does appear that Florida, even according to Steve Wilfong, might even be the leader right now, depending on who you ask. And this has kind of been a fast-rising recruitment. And we'll have to see where that goes. But he will be visiting um, on campus this weekend. Another name that we're hoping to get back on campus at the cornerback position, not visiting this weekend, to kind of segue into that Florida Florida State battle is a Jamari Howard. He flipped he decommitted from Michigan State last month. And many believe kind of thought the Florida flip was inevitable at that point, but Florida State has now made this a battle and and, and it's going to be one that we have to watch there. And he will be, I think, visiting later this month. But that's another position. Kind of I'm sort of surprised, Neil, that we haven't had as much activity at the cornerback position Yet this cycle, we've seen a great haul in the safety room. And, and Corey Raymond, of course, has taken over that safety room. I think many believe it's only a matter of time before Zay Mincy, another top 100 or top 150 player, joins the class uh, to go along with Xavier Filsami. But, you know, I think that we it would be nice to maybe see some more activity at that position 
as well as offensive line. We really have not seen really any activity at the offensive line there. We have uh, three-star Ori Williams. He's a uh, 527th ranked player in the country. And then also Ty Hilton, another three-star athlete out of Oviedo High School, will be visiting next weekend. Uh, but we're, we are sort of lacking that off that top-end offensive line talent. We do have Ethan Calloway coming to campus. That's a, that's a, a recent um, addition uh, to the list. Uh, but we really do need to start seeing some activity there, I think, at the offensive line and the quarterback position. Kind of what are your thoughts on on some players you think or positions where you would like to see Florida hit a little bit more? I mean, I think that there's something to be said about moving in silence. I think Napier is very good at keeping secrets in a world where that's very difficult to do. And I think that there there is definitely some effort being made with a guy like Jamari Howard. I mean, if, if Florida were to get him, by the way, that would completely flip our current analysis of the cornerback class that we have, by which I mean we don't have, on its head. And all of a sudden, the narrative goes from Florida's not doing anything at cornerback this cycle to, oh my God, we just got a top 100 player. So Florida's making moves just, you know, just because there's not a ton of smoke about them doesn't necessarily mean that Florida isn't doing anything, anything about it. Because if you're, I mean, just go back to the Billy Gonzalez hire when Florida went and got him when no one thought that was going to be the guy. He moved in silence. He conducted, I think, two different interviews, brought him on campus without anyone leaking that information out. So if Florida can keep that kind of secret, chances are pretty good that they're able to keep secrets and keep information on the down low about the guys they're recruiting. So, I mean, we, we know Florida is is definitely in the mix for Jamari Howard. We know that they're in the mix from Xavier Mincy. Those guys have expressed at least some semblance of interest before. I think a guy like um, – maybe a, a Kobe Black, I think that's just one of the few five-star corners in this class. I think a guy like that is probably not coming to Florida, but the guys who are visiting, the guys who show interest in Florida are showing interest because there's there has to have been some effort made by the Florida staff to prove to them, hey, we want you. Um, hey, you know, you look great in orange and blue. I think that there's going to be a lot more smoke coming when we start seeing more guys visiting Florida because in addition to this weekend, Jubilee weekend, as, as, as Shelton called it, next weekend, June 9th, has a pretty respectable visitors list too. And I think once guys around the country start seeing, oh, look at that, all these guys are going to Florida, maybe I'll start taking a look at them too. You'll start to see more smoke building for some of those other guys. So I'm not super worried about cornerback yet, I think, I mean, the, the the calendar just flipped to June. So on the first day of June, I'm not particularly worried about where anywhere, where any one position stands. I do think we're going to need to see some smoke on the offensive line and at cornerback in the next 45, 60 days. I mean, the, the dead period is coming up, but, you know, but before the season starts, we're going to need to see some smoke start to build for me to, for me to keep that that confidence in him, despite there not being a lot of smoke around it. Yeah, most definitely. And as you mentioned, with that dead period afterward rules in August, and you know, I just I think history shows that the way your your class looks going into August, your player average, uh, the amount of blue chip players that you have percentage wise tends to hold come signing day in December. And that was a trend that that if you go back and look at the data last year and the years before that, outside of a transition class when a new head coach comes in, that tends to be the case. So right now, Florida has a very high blue chip rating. We're at 80-some percent. We have a 94 
uh, average player ranking on 247, obviously great. If you bring in any of these players that we have visiting this coming weekend or the following weekend, that ranking will and will likely remain the same. So that's, that would be a great trend. But as I mentioned at the top of the segment, you've got to start seeing guys commit. You've got to see this close. This is a huge opportunity for that to happen. So I'm looking for, for, for some commitments this weekend. Like I mentioned, I think Dylan Evans, I think a guy like Chris Jones, and maybe even a guy like a Kendall Jackson, who's long been a Florida, many believe as a Florida lean, uh, to end up in the class this week. And then we'll see maybe at the end of this month into next month after all these official visits are taken, because that is the trend now. A lot of these players are starting to take your official visits much earlier. They're not waiting until the fall. They're taking them in summer. They want to wrap up their recruitments uh, before their football, senior football seasons begin. So I think that we, we should start to see some of the commitments happen, either to Florida or any of the other schools. And I think there's something to be said, too, about the point that if you listen to us on on the High Top Sports Show last night, Shelton made a great point. Closing time. Maybe, you know, Napier, I know, is is the, the relationship guy. He's the nicest, genuine, most authentic guy. That's that's great. But maybe you start to get a little more aggressive if a guy says, you know what? I, I really liked it. Let's let's say um, let, let's say a Dalen Evans. Um but yeah, you know, in fact, let's say Dalen Adams, who we know is committed to AM, but he likes Florida. And he says to Billy Napier, he's about to leave. Thanks, coach. I really liked it here. I really could see myself coming to the University of Florida. I just want to go back home and think about it with my family. Say to him, what's there to think about? You're here. You see it for yourself. Your family's here with you. Or I guess that'd be more of a Chris Jones situation. You could say, hey, your family's here. What, what's there to talk about? What's there to think about? You've seen it all for yourself. Get that commitment, get it over with, be done with it. Do not let him walk out of the Gainesville city limits without that commitment because we have we have been burned by that before. We have made assumptions about recruits before. Cormani McLean among them, but not the only one of them. I have it on good authority that Jonel Aguero was one of those guys too back in last cycle. Uh, we, we had a, a lot of good feelings about him. We had a we had a phone conversation with him that apparently went very well. And we thought, yeah, you know, we're going to get him on campus. Just wait. Just let him do things at his pace. Let him come to us. We've got him. That phone call went great. We're good. He winds up at Georgia. So whether it's whether it's an on-campus visit, whether you go to into his living room and, and an in-home visit, or if it's just texting or calling with recruits, you've got to get a little more aggressive if you're Billy Napier and this staff in getting them to that next level. Get them from... Uh, just texting your calling to an in-home, get them from an in-home to you come to us and then close, finish, seal the deal, get them from coming to our campus to commit. And like David said in, in his counter to what Shelton said last night, that's still not going to guarantee anything because if we've learned anything from the last year, it's that signing on the dotted line isn't even the end of a commitment or the end of a recruiting process with Jaden Rashada, but that's going to be the lone exception. That's going to be the extreme outlier. It's going to be the anomaly. That is not going to happen 95 out of 100 times you get a commitment. I think the, the stat is, what, like 92.8% of guys who commit verbally wind up signing and playing for that school. It's, it's above 9 out of 10 times. It is the overwhelming majority of the time. So get more of those commitments. Be a little bit more aggressive. 
Get it done. Don't assume anything. Don't let anything hang in the balance. And do not let him leave Alachua County, especially in the case of Chris Jones, who has that visit to Georgia coming up on June 16th, and Dalen Evans, who's been committed to AM for a while. Do not let those two leave Alachua County without a verbal commitment. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Well, before we wrap up, I do want to touch on a, a little bit more recruiting news, uh, both football and one little tidbit in basketball. Uh, Florida, we have not talked about this on the pod yet, but Florida did add a junior college running back in Jacoby Jackson through the transfer portal last week. Uh, he is coming from Cahoma Community College out of Clarksdale, Mississippi. This is a running back that uh, amassed almost 1,400 yards of rushing, 14 touchdowns over 20 games across three seasons there. He was originally committed to Charleston Southern, and then Billy Napier and his army were able to find him, scout him out, and figure that he's a great addition to the program. Uh, and we were able to get him to flip upon visiting, Neil, visiting on the spot and getting him to commit, kind of what we're talking about. Certainly, we're hoping for you know that, that five-star athlete at the high school level to do the same, but it's good to see that they have the ability to do that uh, in the transfer portal. And he will be joining a loaded running back room. Of course, I think this is sort of a depth piece. Uh, you kind of reading the tea leaves, you know, you could have a Montreal Johnson leave early for the NFL draft this year. Uh, you know, you have Cam Carroll, who likely only will play probably at the University of Florida for one season. So if you lose him, you have two running backs coming in. But this is a staff that has said they want to maintain five running backs in the running back room. And this gives us our fifth running back for this year and likely keeps that room solid for 2024. So good addition for the staff there for depth. We'll see what he ends up doing and maybe play some special teams, but overall can't complain. It gets our scholarship total to 83 players. There is another addition to the visitors list. Um, it's going to not this week, but next weekend, Quincy Ivory, out of ELAC, that's East Los Angeles Community College. Some might be familiar with that school. They are on the Last Chance U basketball show, uh, but they do have a football program out there as well. Quincy did visit the University of Florida as a high school athlete, I believe as a preferred walk-on at the time, but he was a quarterback at high school and then since coming to the community college game, moved to the defensive side of the ball, added a ton of size. He was not even 200 pounds coming out of high school. Currently listed as 265, 255 pounds. They project him as an edge player uh, and does have some offers from a couple of, you know, smaller group of five schools. But, you know, this staff has identified him as a player that could potentially add some depth to the edge room. That is a position we did not fill in the transfer portal where we knew we needed to get some additions there. And, and certainly he could add that depth piece and bring us to 85 total or 84 total scholarship players. So we'll see what happens. And then finally, we have a huge uh, visit coming up this week from a potential point guard in Zion Poulin. Uh, currently plays at UC Riverside out in California. Uh, he would only have one year of eligibility left uh, in, in, in college. He was originally going to go to the NBA, had declared for the NBA draft, but removed his name this past week. And he's only looking at some pretty big schools. I mean, he's looking at Florida. He's looking at Xavier. He's looking at LSU, Michigan, and Gonzaga. So, uh, you know, Michigan, Gonzaga are two very good schools on that list, teams that have played in the Final Four in recent years. Xavier, a team that has beaten the Florida Gators in recent seasons. Uh, LSU, certainly not a slouch in the recruiting game as they're building that program back up right now. 
just like we are. But this would be a huge gift for the Gators, and I think somebody that would definitely be an immediate plug-and-play and kind of the icing on the cake for Todd Golden uh, and his staff. So would be a huge get if we can get him to commit. Big visit for him on tap this weekend, along with the, the many guys that we just covered for football. So, Neil, I think that about does it. Before we go, do you have anything else to add or, or anything you want to say to Gator Nation before we log off? Yeah, I mean, just, just the final thought – kind of bringing the last two pods we did this week together. Remember when we had Cameron Jackson on the podcast back in January, and the first thing we talked with him about was not football, not his story going to LSU or wanting to go to LSU, but being redirected to Memphis, none of that. We talked about his love for the Florida Gators gymnastics program and how he was going to the O-Dome to meet with Gator fans to watch athletes in another sport be elite at that other sport. That's a selling point. Not for everyone, but for some recruits, that's a selling point that, oh yeah, by the way, check that, check, check out that little, yeah, see those lights across campus? Yeah, that's, that's an elite baseball program we've got over there. Yeah, they're playing in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, they've made the College World Series seven times under the current coach. They won a national championship and they just won the SEC championship this year with that current coach. So yeah, you know, when, when you want to just sit back on the lawn, we got two of them, one in left field, one in right field, just kick, kick back on a nice blanket or towel, grab a snack and just watch your fellow Florida Gator athletes be elite at what they do. That's going to work on some kids. So it obviously won't be the focal point of the pitch, but I guarantee you that at least for some recruits, I mean, DJ Lagwell, we know, wants to play baseball in Florida. Whether he does or not is a different story, but we know that that was at least some somewhat of a selling point for him to watch the Gator baseball team. For other recruits, I bet that that's going to come up at some point this weekend as a just just as a, as a sort of closing cost sort of recruiting pitch that they throw in there. So. You know, good to see the Gator baseball team do what it's going to do um, all year long, winning the SEC, getting the SEC tournament semifinals where they kind of ran out of, out of steam there. Um, but hopefully this weekend is is great, not just from a baseball perspective, but from a football recruiting standpoint too. And Chris, hopefully we'll have some very, 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 very memorable things to talk about next week as a result of what happens this weekend. Most definitely. Most definitely. Looking forward to uh, what comes of this recruiting weekend and, and obviously baseball. So it's been a fun week getting kind of back on the podcast and reengaging with all the fans out there. And and hopefully we'll have more great news to share next week after this weekend. So with that, I want to thank everybody for joining in tonight. I want to give a quick one more shout out to Alma Mater. They just dropped some new uh polos today they also sell the hats that the golf team was wearing on the tournament so make sure to click our link on our website and and get some of that merch there also want to make sure you follow us on all of our social media you can follow me at mr crispitz you can follow neil at all kinds weather you can follow him on instagram at all kinds weather blog follow our podcast twitter handle at iakow forecast and be sure to follow us on youtube and facebook in all kinds of weather in all kinds of weather forecast is also has a new YouTube channel. So make sure to subscribe to that one as well for purely just the podcast content. And of course, Neil has all of the, all the good gridiron glory football games on the YouTube channel that I just mentioned before. So if you're looking to get excited for football season, go back and watch some amazing content there. But with that, also have old baseball games on there. If you want to get hyped up for the World Series this year or just the tournament this year, got some uh, games from the 15 World Series, 
um, from the 17 World Series championship run and the 18 World Series all up there, too. So if you want to get hyped for baseball, that's also there. Everything's cool, Chris. Everything's cool. For sure. So, yeah, make sure to go on all those places. Like, subscribe. Please leave us a rating on uh, Apple or Spotify. It definitely helps us with the algorithm. So leave us a five-star rating and a nice review. Maybe we'll even read it on the show if you do. But with that, I want to thank everybody for joining in tonight with another episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I'm your host, Chris Yanes. Go Gators. Let's win a big regional matchup this week. And let's get some recruits. Go Gators, y'all. Till next time.